the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ, where we're exploring the mission, vision, and core convictions of our church, focusing on the centrality of Christ in word and in our lives. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 asks a rhetorical question. What do you have that you did not receive? The point is to make us at the very top consider and realize that every single thing that we have has come to us as a gift. What do you have that you haven't received? Nothing. Every single thing that you have, you have received it. All of life is a gift. Every single part of life is a gift from an incredibly gracious giver, our Lord and our God. At Christmas, as we consider giving and receiving of gifts, it's important for us to take a step back and to realize that the gifts that we receive are broader and bigger than just that which we receive under the tree, but that all of life, all that we are, all our talents, all of our abilities, all of it has come as a gift from God. And the next statement in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 makes it, to, makes it clear that we're to understand that everything we've received has come as a gift. If you have then received it, the passage of scripture continues telling us that we have received everything, that everything that we've received is a gift. The question is, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And here, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reveals the bent of the human heart that we're quick to boast in or we're quick to trust in the things that we have. And when we boast in or when we trust in the things that we have, We forget that those things themselves are gifts that come from God. It's like like the child that immediately receives a gift and is unwilling to share it. And you're like, you know that you just got that and that's a gift. Share that with your brother or sister. No, it's mine. Well, it's a gift, okay? Share it, right? That's the way that we all too often act with the gifts that the Lord God has given to us. This is the bent of the human heart. We've received everything that we are and everything that we have, and yet our tendency is to forget the giver and to boast in the gift. That's the tendency of the human heart. He goes on to say the way that the people in Corinth in particular are boasting. He he talks about how they have all that they want, how they've become kings, how they are strong, how they're held in high regard, how they are wise. 
But you see, every single one of those things, their wealth and their position, their strength and their honor and their wisdom, it's all been given to them. And Paul also, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear how it is that they should use all of these gifts that they've been given. In verse 16, he tells the Corinthian church that they should imitate him as he imitates Christ. And he says in verse 1 that he is a steward of the mysteries of God. Paul is a steward And the Corinthian church should be stewards as well. And the question, of course, then is, is what is a steward? And this is something that's really important for us to answer. A steward was a servant or a slave that had been given the high position in a household of being in charge of all of the owner's assets, all of the owner's material possessions. Now, there's there's very likely an example of this in the Old Testament. You might remember the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he found himself in Potiphar's house. But the Lord blessed the work that Joseph did, and so Potiphar gave him the the chief position. Potiphar actually put him in charge of all of his material possessions, all of his material wealth. So in that role, as this chief steward, as the steward of Potiphar's house, he was in control of all of the goods, everything that happened. He was the one that was in control of it. Now, he didn't own or possess any of it. It was Potiphar that owned and possessed all of it. But as this one who had been made the steward of everything that he had, Joseph was in control of everything that happened with his money, with his resources, with his household. He was in charge of Potiphar's whole house because he had been made the steward. The International Standard Encyclopedia talks about how when Paul describes himself as a steward, that the idea is that he takes scrupulous care of that which was entrusted to him, and he gives it out to others faithfully as directed by his master, Jesus Christ. So here's the point for today. Here's how it applies to today. Everything that you and I have has been given. All of it has come from God. Everything belongs to God. Everything does. And so let's make this really clear. You are on earth today because God formed and fashioned you and gave you life. You are alive because God continues to sustain you and because God has determined in his wisdom and power that your life would continue at least through today. You are in a church building made of various materials that God put on the earth, fashioned into various parts of the building by builders and craftsmen and workers and designers who were all given their abilities by the Lord and were sustained and upheld by the Lord. You are listening to my words that are amplified wirelessly by means that God allowed for as he fashioned the earth really spectacularly, and you are hearing a voice that would become immediately silent if God determined that I should no longer speak. Every part of everything that we are experiencing right now is a gift that comes from God because everything belongs to God. Everything is a gift. All is a gift. And God, because he is good, and because he is merciful, and because he is kind, and because he is generous, has entrusted some of what he was in possession of to our care. Some of his resources he has entrusted to your care. He's given you wealth. It's all his, but he's made you a steward over some of his wealth. He's the master, but you've been given authority over one piece of that wealth. He's given you time. How much time he's given to us, we do not know. But every single second that we experience, we experience as a gift from God because he is the Lord of time and we are simply stewards of it. And he's given you abilities. Everything that you or I can do, even the development of those abilities is something that has come because God is gracious and God gives. 
Everything belongs to God. And so I have a few goals today, a few hopes for us, a few things that I've been praying for us throughout the week. The first goal is the major one, that because of our time together today, in part because of this time, that we would develop a 1 Corinthians 4, 7 mentality. What do I have that I've not received? Nothing. Everything that I have is a gift from God. Everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God. My hope is that we would develop that mentality from 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Nothing. There is nothing that I have that I did not receive. And so I will not boast as if I had not received it. Because this comes to me because God has given it to me. And so knowing that and developing this assurance that everything belongs to God and cultivating within ourselves this 1 Corinthians 4, 7 mentality that that nothing has come to us except that which has come to us by a gift. I hope that that would have, have two results. First, I hope that that would motivate us to trust the source of the gift rather than the supply of the gift. Your and my tendency is to trust our finances or our time or our abilities. And when we trust those things, we trust the supply rather than the source. Trust God more than you trust his gifts. That is my first hope, developing a 1 Corinthians 4, 7 mentality that we would trust the source and not the supply. And the second is that we would act as faithful stewards, that we would use his finances, his time, and his abilities, which he has entrusted to us in a way that pleases him. And so knowing that everything belongs to God, I think that there are three aspects of life that it's worth us taking a look at. And those three aspects of life are finances, time, and abilities. These are our three points for today. Finances, time, and abilities. We're going to spend the most amount of time talking about finances because, frankly, the scriptures talk about that more specifically and more often than the other two. It's not to say that that's more important, but that's where we'll spend the majority of our time. Finances, and then time, and then ability. We're going to talk first about finances. Remembering, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you had not? This truth is something that the American church, that American Christians, Western Christians, desperately need to learn. According to some of the best research that's been done by evangelical agencies, the mean amount of giving that Christians give, that means if you were to line up everyone, every Christian you know, in, in a line and then pick the person right in the middle and try to find out how much that person gives of their income, the mean giving of Christians in America is 0.62% of income. That means that about 50% of American Christians give less than 0.62% of their income. About 50% of Christians give more than 0.62% of their income. It's only about 12% of Christians that give at least a tenth of their income. There was one Oxford study that took a look at that and and said that if if just committed Christians tithed, not just the ones that, that claim to be Christians, but if committed Christians tithed, that the church would have an additional $150 billion each year to do God's work with. A lot has been written about the impoverished nature of the American church. A lot of hand-wringing has been happening because the the American church has been in, in noticeable decline over the course of the last 10 or 15 or 20 years in particular. And one of the things that I wonder is if some of our spiritual poverty is not related to the fact that we are poor in how we give to the Lord. Let's remember the principle that the Lord gives to us in the scriptures. 
The principle is given to us in Matthew chapter 6. This is how the Lord instructs us as to how it is that we should handle his wealth. We're told in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then the passage goes on. The eye of the lamp is the body. If the eyes are good, your whole body will be full of life. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The principle of that passage is so clear. You can't serve both God and money. But you can serve God with your money. And you cannot take your possessions with you, but you can send it ahead of you. Today's message in our Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ series will continue in just a moment. We wanted to let you know that you can download a copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask absolutely free when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to past messages of this radio program. This radio ministry is supported by gifts from listeners like you. To support this ministry, you can give a gift of any amount when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com and click on the Give a Gift button. We appreciate your support as we share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now we continue with today's message from Pastor Derek on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth because moth and rust just destroy it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That, that is a wise steward of God's resources. He says, I've entrusted to you this amount of of wealth or finances for the course of your life. Don't serve it. Don't trust the supply rather than the source. And use it so that you might store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. That, That is Christian economics right there. This passage shows us that money is a barometer for our heart. We're told this in other parts of scripture as well. John the Baptist in Luke 3 was asked by the crowd what they should do to bear the fruit of the repentance, and and he said that everyone should share clothes and food with the poor, that tax collectors shouldn't pocket extra money, that soldiers should be content with their wages, wages and not extort money. There were other examples of the way that people who encountered Jesus had a different relationship quite immediately with money. Zacchaeus immediately gave away vast sums of his fortune when he encountered Jesus. Some Jerusalem converts sold all that they had and gave it to the poor in the early church. The widow that we all remember from scripture is the widow who gave what she could, the widow's might, two small coins. At the same time, the parable of the rich fool warns us of the folly of being rich toward oneself and poor towards God. The rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 verse 21 was unwilling to become a disciple of Christ Jesus because he found himself unable to sell all of his possessions and follow after Jesus. A lot of those who came to Jesus immediately expressed their faith in the way that they handled money. Because those that came to trust in Jesus and then turned around and started to give of their money realized that they were making a wise investment. They were no longer storing up for themselves treasures on earth, but they would in heaven. They realized, as we can realize, that God was the owner of all that they possessed. So they began giving back to him what rightly belonged to him. Our heart goes where we put our money. Or, more properly, 
Our heart goes where we put God's money. And one of the things that we need to recognize is that everything that we have been given has been a gift. That is not, it's not our money. It is God's money. And so we need to steward it wisely. We need to steward it faithfully. And as we handle it, as we handle the money that God has given us, we need to realize that there is, that there is immense power in it. There are so many of us where, where if we would admit it, we have this tendency to believe that if we just had a little more money, that everything would really be okay. You know, life is hard, but if I just had a little bit more, then everything would be okay. I, one, of my, one of my favorite quotes was that somebody once asked Andrew Carnegie, how much money is enough money? And he said, always just a little bit more. But you see, when we, start, when we start realizing that everything that we have, that everything that we possess, that it belongs to God, that's not ours. Then we can start trusting the source. We can stop trusting the supply. We find that it's easier for us to give. This was never mine in the first place. This was God's. We start to realize that, that our priorities need to be God's priorities with the way that we use our money. Now I want to be clear. It's good for us, like we talked about in, in, when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, it's good for us to use the, the financial resources that the, God, that the Lord has given to us for enjoyment. It's good for us to use them wisely so that we might have enough. And it's good for us to give it away. One of the sure ways to make sure that money is not getting a, a vice grip on your heart is to give it away. One of the surest ways to defeat materialism is to laugh in its face as you give money away. The materialist tendency will, say if, will be to say, if I just have a little bit more, that'll be enough. The Christian's tendency who recognizes that everything is God's and that everything that we have has been a gift says, you know what? I do have enough and I'm proving it by giving it. Even if, even if like a part of me doesn't feel it, right? Even if it doesn't feel it, I'm going to give. I'm going to give and show that God's priorities are more important to me than the world's. As stewards of God's money, we need to use money in a way that honors the owner of the money. And, and my friend and brother minister, Romel Williams Jr., offers some wisdom here. Romel says, unfortunately, we all know that people give the Lord, we all know people that give the Lord their hearts but never trust him with their wallets. He said, here are the five beliefs that have potential to change your life as it relates to stewardship. He says, understand first that all that I have comes from what God gives. Number two, live joyfully within God's current provisions for my life. Number three, I honor God by giving the first tenth of all my earnings to his purposes in the world. Number four, I set aside a portion of all my earnings in a savings account for emergencies, giving opportunities beyond 10%, and for my later years. And number five, I love listening for God's commands concerning my resources. There's some wise principles. Those are wise principles for how to be a faithful steward. I was talking to Adron Robinson, another dear brother minister, and he said, you know, Christmas is the time where it is so important for us to preach on stewardship. He said, our tendency is going to be to overspend on gifts or on the holidays and then deprive God of what he has owed. We need to remember at this time of spending to spend wisely and to give generously. Everything belongs to God 
and that includes our finances. Everything belongs to God, and that includes our time as well. And this is a great challenge for us as we live in a distracted world. Here's what God's word says to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me read that again. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Make the best use of time. Every single instant that you and I have lived, every single moment that you and I will live, every bit of it comes to us as a gracious gift from God. You and I are living on borrowed time, time that was borrowed, uh, that was lent to us by the creator of the universe. Every single second that you and I experience is a gift given from the Lord. And so knowing that, knowing that, the scriptures tell us, well, then look carefully at how you walk, meaning look carefully at how you're spending your time. Make the best use of time because the days are evil. That means there are all sorts of evil ways to be distracted and use time foolishly. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. Use time well. How well do you think Americans do at that? I've got an article here from CNN about that. I promise this is not fake news. This is true news from CNN here. And the headline, you might be able to see it because it's pretty big. Americans devote more than 10 hours a day to screen time and growing. And here are a couple of selections from the article. The average American spends nearly half a day staring at a screen. A new Nielsen Company audience report reveals that adults in the United States devoted about 10 hours and 39 minutes each day to consuming media during the first quarter of this year. The report reveals a dramatic one-hour increase over last year in how often the average American adult gorges on media in a day. During the same time period last year, Nelson reported that people spent about nine hours and 39 minutes engaging with gadgets. This jump could be credited to the rise in smartphone and tablet usage, the report shows. Nielsen collects data on media consumption only, so time spent on a smartphone or tablet or doing other things from taking photos to texting was not included in the report's data. However, the report shows that despite the growing options of devices available to users, radio and television are still used the most. About 94% of adults have an HD television, and the average adult in the United States spends about four and a half hours a day watching shows or movies. Another key finding in the data shows that services for streaming or subscription video on demand, such as Netflix and Hulu, were in just as many households as a DVR. The report concluded that out of 168 hours in a week, we spend more than 50 with media on devices. The work week still takes about 40 of those hours. Sleep at seven hours a night is 49. And if we assume all personal care, such as eating, bathing, dressing, preparing food, is three hours a day, then we have 58 hours in a week left over for other things. This includes hobbies, sports, spending time with children, spending time with friends and romantic partners, reading, learning, exercise, participating in a faith community, volunteer work, housing maintenance. If people are spending over 50 hours a week with media for entertainment purposes, then there's really no time left for any other of the things that we might value. That's a pretty harrowing report, isn't it? It's a harrowing report to realize, you know, if you're to, if you're to sleep 
seven hours a night. If you were to work 40 hours a week, then you got to, if you were to, you know, like do regular things like, like eat and bathe, as I hope everyone is doing, then you have about 58, you have about 58 hours left of the week. And people spend on average over 50 of those staring at a screen, watching something. Now, I, I think that that definitely begs the question. Now, is that walking, if, if that's the way that we are, if that's what our common practice is, or, or if something approaching that, is that walking unwise or wise? Is that making the best use of time? Or is that being foolish? Is that failing to understand what the will of the Lord is? Time that has been given to us has been given to us as a gift from God. And that means that we are to steward that time in a way that honors the giver of that time. Now again, I'm not trying to say something extreme like cut out all television usage or watching in your home or or throw away all of your computers and and cell phones. That might be good advice for, for some people, right? What I'm saying is that we need to make sure that we are making a moderate use of entertainment and that we are making sure that we use our time daily in a way that honors God. It means that we, those who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, those who have been redeemed by the Lord, need to make sure that the time that we have in our lives is rightly ordered. And that means there are all sorts of things that we must do each day. We must accomplish our work, we need to eat and bathe like we talked about. But in all of the, in all of the, the time that, that we have, those, those hours or those minutes that we have each week, we've got to make sure that we as the redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ are getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ better. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bucham in our series Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ, where we explore the core mission, vision, and convictions of our church, focusing on the centrality of Christ in word and in our lives. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.